Amen, amen. If you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 1. James chapter, I'm sorry, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brain got behind my mouth um, for once, and so it's a good problem. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Um, as you're opening up there, uh, let me just say a word about how beautiful it is to hear you sing. And uh, as much as we enjoyed uh, having a small group of folks here on the stage during, the, uh, during our time when we were not meeting at all uh, in person, uh, it is just wonderful to sing with the Lord's people. And so it's one of my favorite sounds in the world is to hear all of you sing. Yes, even you. Uh, whoever you may be that thinks he doesn't want to hear me sing. No, I want to hear you sing too. And uh, you might not want to hear me sing, but I like to hear you sing. Praise God. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you, you, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him but you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well but if you show partiality you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. We thank you for his mercy. Let us be changed by your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our world is divided. It doesn't take much to look out and see division around us. We don't just disagree with people anymore. We're downright angry about it. And sometimes I'll look. 
I look at all the people out in the world fighting and arguing and wallowing around in the slop. And what do I see there among them but followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Wallowing in the mud right there with the world. And so often we act like we're shocked and aghast at how the world behaves. But so often there we are clutching our pearls before swine. It seems like there's no mercy in the world today. It seems like everywhere you look, there's no grace, there's no mercy. And yet, one thing you'll notice is that when there is a story of grace, when there is a picture of mercy, when there is imagery or a story that comes along that's a picture of grace, we get so excited. Even people who are pagans get so excited when they finally get a taste or a glimpse or a drink of mercy. I saw a video just the other day of, a, of two young men, one of whom was once a police officer and the other one of whom had false charges brought against him by that very cop. And by the time they told the story and made the video that I got to watch... The one who was wronged had forgiven this crooked cop who had come clean. And they had become friends in the process. And I shared that story, and many of you saw it. And, and, and over and over and over again, when you see those kinds of things out there, we get excited about it. We, we become so excited about mercy, about grace. We are a lot like what the Grateful Dead once said, what I want to know is, are you kind? And in a world where people are fighting and in a world where people are divided and in a world where people are struggling, don't you think that every day you find someone who's wondering, wanting to know, wanting to find someone, what they really want to know is, are you kind? They probably don't care your opinions on everything, but they would be transformed by grace. It would be like a cold drink of water on a hot day just to get a glimpse of mercy. When we look out across the cultural landscape, we see all kinds of offers given for how to fix the divisions in our country. One popular answer I see all the time is just lop off a group. If we could just get rid of these people, we'd be better. So folks just say, let's send them all to California or Alabama, depending on your politics, and let's just get them out of the way and, and be done with it. Other people, another popular answer says, let's just win and beat them and gloat. Let's own them. Let's win at all costs. Other people just want to overthrow the bourgeoisie and redistribute all the wealth of the world. Other folks don't really care about any of it. They just want to watch their stories at night uninterrupted. They just want to be able to be distracted and not have to worry about any of this stuff. But what answer does the world give his church? Because my friends, Christians don't come down from heaven. Right? And it's like I tell people all the time. When uh, I, I talk to them about a book or something like that or a song or a movie or whatever. And they say, "How do you, you're a preacher. How do you know about that? I say, well, the Lord doesn't send us down out of heaven. I mean, I grew up in this world too. Same with us guys. We're from here. Right? And guess what we bring with us? We bring baggage with us even into the Lord's church. And sometimes we even bring worldly divisions, whether we like it or not. We bring worldly prejudices. We bring worldly thoughts. We bring the thoughts of the world into the church because we're sinners. 
But what answer does the Lord give His church? How do we overcome worldly divisions? What answer do we have? What do we have to show a divided world? We are united. What keeps us together? We are united in the Lord's church by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't a theoretical unity, but an actual unity that actually breaks down walls of hostility and actually bridges divides in our actual lives. The gospel transforms our hearts and it transforms our relationships. And this morning I want to show you three ways that the gospel gives us to help us evaluate our attitude before the Lord. Ultimately, we have to ask ourselves this morning, ultimately are we living lives where we believe that mercy trusts? I want to show you this morning three truths that will help you adorn your life with the gospel in a divided world. How can I demonstrate Jesus' answer to people who desperately need it? Three truths this morning that will help you. Here's the first. The gospel calls us beyond prejudice. The, The gospel calls us beyond prejudice. Now imagine this here this morning imagine that there had been a man who was very wealthy very very wealthy who came in the door right back there and as he walks in everyone begins to notice maybe he's someone we know is wealthy already but any at any rate everyone begins to notice and then someone grabs him and says come though it be illegal here today I want you to meet the pastor You may have to get within six feet, but that's okay. If he's going to catch the coronavirus from someone, I hope it's from you. And so you drag him down here to meet the pastor. And as he comes down, you're kind of behind him, and you're kind of pointing at his Rolex and saying, Hey, preacher, better act right around this guy. We don't want to lose this one. And at the same time, at the same time, from this door right here, somebody comes in, and you smell him before you see him. You look at them and you think, okay, how do we handle this? You start evaluating in your own heart. How, how, how do we handle this? What should we do? We, we, we better be careful. We, we, we better not take him. We might take him to meet the preacher later, but we better not right now uh, because uh, Dudley Do-Right's down there right now, and uh, we want to make sure that, that we don't embarrass the church. This is the situation that James gives us a picture of. And what he says is, when we do this, when we treat the rich man like the world treats the rich man, and we treat the poor man like the world treats the poor man, like a great triumph and like a real embarrassment. The shabbily dressed guy gets treated like he gets treated out there in the world and the rich man comes in and he comes in and he gets treated like he does out in the world and the rich man thinks this is my kind of place and my kind of people religion's not so bad after all and the poor man comes in and says religion's exactly what I thought it was like and there's no place for me here both leave without actually hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ James says that points out then that we have hearts They're not holding tightly to the faith that we ought to have in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, because he tells us that we are judges with evil thoughts. We are judging with evil motives. What I think James wants us to know 
is that our problem in such a situation, and don't think for a moment that that's the only sort of prejudice that the Bible has a problem with, but our problem when we are living out this sort of prejudice, our problem in such a situation as this is a misunderstanding of what glory really is. So often that's our problem according to the Scriptures. That's what sin does to us. It numbs us. It dulls us to real, actual glory. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The way James presents that is not just to say the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, but he really wants to emphasize for us that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. He is highly emphasizing his glory. And we recognize then that what James is showing us is that we misunderstand what God's really doing in the world. Because the reality is God has chosen even the poor, even those who as a society we may look down on at some level or another. And I don't mean just people without enough money. I mean the abject poor in this world. He's chosen them, the Bible says, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And he has promised that to all who love him. And the opposite is true as well, that the Lord has chosen the rich in this world to be heirs to the kingdom as well, but they don't purchase their way there. They don't walk in and suddenly the doors of the kingdom just fling open to them. The same way that a rich man enters the kingdom is exactly the same way that a poor man enters the kingdom by grace through faith. James says it's ridiculous for us to misunderstand glory in this way because we say we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We say that our leader and our ruler is King Jesus. We say that this world is not our home, but we don't act like it. We are acting just like the world acts, and we are treating people just like the world treats them. We are putting people in the categories that the world puts them in. And in this world, especially even for James's hearers, he tells them, it was often the rich who oppressed and sued them and persecuted Christians. And so he says, why would you abandon the one who's treated you perfectly well, the Lord Jesus Christ? For someone who hasn't, just based on worldliness. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glories. Glory. My friends, as Christians, we have to. We have no option but to reject prejudice and partiality in all of its forms. Indeed, There are those, even people who claim to be Jesus, who would only prefer to know or be around those of a certain economic status. There are those, even those who claim to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, who only prefer to be around those who have the same skin tone as them. There are those who claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are actively prejudiced toward people of certain political affiliations, or actively prejudiced against people from certain areas of the world, or actively prejudiced against people and what they're do in different ways. And what they're really doing is simply mimicking the world, dividing according to the flesh. And so we must, as Christians, reject a misplaced view of glory that only sees glory as the world sees it. We must instead embrace the gospel that sees glory brewing in ways the world can't imagine. 
Have you ever thought about how many people walked by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and they looked at him and they thought, look at that man who's cursed. Because you know what the Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Have you thought about how many Romans walked by and said, that's what you get, you scum, for rebelling against the most powerful kingdom in the world. Can you imagine how many people walked by the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross and simply looked at him and had pity on this poor, pathetic man who obviously, obviously had had a terrible day. And yet what none of them can see, but what we can see now because of the gospel, is that there as our Lord was suffering on the cross, despised and rejected and smitten as the wrath of God is being poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ, what we know as people of the gospel is that there was a glory that was brewing there that a human eye cannot see, but that we can now see by faith that God was doing something we could not even imagine through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was redeeming the world and that Jesus was overcoming, he was conquering, he was winning, he was defeating through his own death. We can't see glory with the naked eye. And when we treat a rich man better than we treat a poor man, when we treat a person of a certain color or status or significance in this world differently than we treat someone else, what we're saying is the only glory that matters is the glory we can see. It is a repudiation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, we have to look to the Lord of glory. We must look to His kingdom. And we must not be partial. We must not be prejudiced in the way we conduct ourselves. But second of all, the gospel calls us to a whole holiness. The gospel calls us beyond prejudice, but second of all, the gospel calls us to a whole holiness. Look at verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law, once again, he's pointing us to the law of the kingdom of Christ. The royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, what do we do with our prejudices then? But I think it's impossible not to come in, not to have some level of a prejudice or a partiality that's centered around the way the world views things. So how do we deal with them? I think somebody would, might read this passage and misunderstand it and say, well, I guess what James is driving at is up with the poor and down with the rich. It seems like that, that would be a, a logical conclusion to what he's trying to say here. And lots of systems and lots of people and lots of thought processes have essentially said that's the solution to everything for thousands of years. And they'll continue to say such things. And it's not to say that James isn't saying that Christians ought to care about the poor. They, he is very much saying that. And God is very much always saying that Christians must be opposed to oppression. But what is the answer? How does he say we ought to handle this? What is the answer to prejudice? What is the answer to these things? How do we handle our partiality? Well, we begin by fulfilling the royal law. That is the law 
that was so beautifully highlighted by our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says the entirety of the law can be summed up with this thought and the idea that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, we all look at this and say, simple enough. I've heard that since I was in Sunday school. Good answer. Okay, let's go home now. But we've got a problem. Uh, We've got a problem. There's a rub for for those of us who are Pharisees. And I've told y'all I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm just going to go and get it out there. I've done this in my life. You've done this in your life. There are parts of the law that we try to slip out from. We try to get out from under certain parts of the law because we do so well at other parts. We, we, we love this idea. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you better bet I do that. I, I quit dipping snuff. I don't hang out with girls that dip snuff anymore. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Me and God have got a good thing going on. Every law, I follow it. I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Right? You can't believe how many flannel graphs I've put together in my life. Me and God, we've got a good thing going. We divide and conquer. Those parts of the law that seem to be related to us, as we would say and as we think deeply in our hearts, commending ourselves before the Lord, we feel great about. Of course, I'll do whatever for God. But the law doesn't stop there, does it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. What? Love my neighbor as myself? My neighbor. What nerve. If the Lord only knew my neighbor, I'm sure he would be fine with me just loving him. But here's the reality. We try on both sides of these debates to divide and conquer. There are those who would say all that we need to focus on is loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's be as holy as possible, and who cares about their neighbor? But then there are others that say as long as you're loving your neighbor, God doesn't care what you do or how you act. One side of the, of the thing is legalism. The other side is antinomianism. And both are wrong. Both are sinful. The reality is we need whole. We need total. We need comprehensive holiness. We can't try to make an A-plus on the test by really doing great at other subjects. We can't say, okay, 5% of this stuff I'm terrible at. I'm not going to love my neighbor as myself, so I'll just make a 95 and cruise through the class. No, that's not what the Scripture says. It's a recipe for Phariseeism. And on top of that, James eviscerates any idea we may have that God is calling us to partial holiness. James totally destroys any thought we have that we can sort of sequester off part of what God has called us to because we're doing good at something else. Notice what he says in verses 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder. 
you have become a transgressor of the law. Some people think this means that all sins are equal. That's not the point that James is making. The point that James is making is you can't sit around and say, well, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you, you can't rule out something like partiality, and haven't we all done that? Oh, Lord, I know that I'm prejudiced against this sort of people. Can't we see in church history, can't we see in the history even of our own denomination ways that people have said, sure, Sure, we've failed here, but look at all the other good stuff we're doing. How much rampant wickedness has been allowed in our hearts, in our country, in the Lord's church? Because we use our faithfulness to one law to justify breaking another one. You're not off the hook. You can't wiggle out of this. We can share every Christian meme imaginable. We can give to every ministry in town. We can shine and polish the outside of the cup all we want. But the question remains, if we are not actively loving our neighbors without prejudice, have we actually been transformed by the gospel of Christ? We can say we're holy all we want, but are we actually living out a whole holiness. And can we ever expect the world to see hope for unity if Christians cannot even demonstrate it in their own lives? Can we ever expect the world to love one another if the people who have been named by the one who is loved himself don't love one another well? I don't think we can. And that leads us to our last point this morning. The gospel calls us to triumphant mercy. The gospel calls us to triumphant mercy. So speak and so act, verse 12, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Sometimes I think we're so busy trying to win I think we're so busy trying to own people who disagree with us. I think we're so busy trying to make sure that we come out on top, that we've forgotten how God defines triumph. How did Jesus triumph over the devil? How did Jesus triumph over sin? Did Jesus come back on a white horse the first time with a sword and just strike down all his enemies? No. What did Jesus do? Jesus won by dying. He triumphed through mercy. Act as if you will be judged under the law of liberty. You see, as a Christian, you have blessed freedom in Christ. But nonetheless, we will be judged by God. God will judge us for the deeds done in the body. I don't think this is a judgment unto hell, but I do think God will have a conversation with us at the very least about how we acted with the gospel he gave us. So speak and so act as one who knows they will be judged by the standards of the kingdom. You see, we're all thinking about being judged by rule, 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 rule. Half of them we made up ourselves. When in reality, we're being judged by the law of liberty. What did you do with the freedom you had? What did you do with the gospel? 
James clarifies what he means. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. This sends a chill down my spine as a believer because we have to recognize that a life that doesn't reflect mercy indicates a soul that has not received mercy. If you find it just impossible to forgive, impossible to be merciful, always judging all the time, I'm not saying you're lost. What I'm saying is I would pray about it. I would ask the Lord to give me assurance and to make me a more merciful person. Mercy, James tells us, triumphs over judgment. Triumphant mercy is the contribution of the Christian to a divided world. Some may fight and yell and holler, over everything, right? Over everything. Over, over, over politics, over sports, over this, over that. Christians show mercy. Some might foment and rage over masks. Christians show mercy. Some might take their frustrations out on a waitress or even their own child. But Christians show merciful some might hate people for the color of their skin but Christians are merciful keeps us even from hating those who hate my friends my brothers my sisters mercy is triumphant in a world where people are being cancelled in a culture where hate seems to reign in a time when Christians are starting to feel more and more like a minority, like they might even be persecuted, nothing is more counterintuitive to our flesh or more countercultural in the world than the idea that mercy of all things can win. But think this morning about your Lord. Think about the one who brought you here to worship him today. Nothing brings you to watch church on Facebook but some level of a desire to know and love Jesus. Otherwise, you're probably going to just sleep in, and I understand that. Consider our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the all-glorious one, co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit, eternally glorious. There has never been any diminishment in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke the world into existence. He perfectly kept the law, though He was tested at every point. He created the world. He's king of the entire cosmos. And consider then what Jesus did for a sinful, hurting, and dividing world. Consider how he handled your sin. Think about your own sins. Consider how he triumphed over the devil. Wasn't it triumphant, glorious mercy that won the day, that won the world, and that won your soul? Here's a reality. You're going to leave here today and you're going to go into a world and a culture and a day that is frustrating. You're, you're going to be caught by surprise this week by something that gets under your skin. 
And it may be something your spouse does. It may be the mayonnaise you specifically ask not to have on your burger being on a burger. It may be wearing a mask when it's 3,000 degrees outside. But something is going to catch you this week where you are going to want to show anything but mercy. And it's in that moment I want you to remember Jesus who, when his beard was plucked out, continued to go to the cross. When his face was hit, when his back was ripped to shreds, when he was mocked and mistreated, he continued to do what? To show mercy. To show triumphant mercy to a world that hated him. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Remember Jesus who went to the cross anyway. Who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This week, let mercy triumph over judgment and remember Jesus. And go thou and do likewise. I want to offer you an opportunity this morning to respond to the Lord. And you may say, Pastor, I've never, I've never thrown myself on the mercy of Christ the first time. Just know right there where you are, Jesus can save you. You don't have to be down here. You don't even have to be in this room for Jesus to save you from your sins. Throw yourself on the mercy of Christ. If you need someone to talk to after the service is over, I'll talk to you. The altar's not open because of the crisis that we're in, uh, health crisis that we're in. But nonetheless, there where you are, you do business with the Lord. You may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, I've not shown the sort of mercy I need to show you may just need some time to evaluate your heart. That's what this time is for. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you after the service is over this morning about what it means for you to be a member at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord right where you are. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, make us a people of mercy. Move in our hearts so that we would honor you no matter what. And God, I pray that you would move among us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.